As I was preparing for today's message, I, uh, I began thinking actually about myself as a young man, probably the age of a lot of you who are here, but it was weird. I, these kind of thoughts would cross my mind. I'd be driving uh, down a freeway, you know, in Ohio, the turnpike, turnpike, 65 miles an hour, and thinking, you know what, if I just turned the wheel about 10 degrees to the left or right, I would probably hit that bridge abutment, and I could end it all. Or I don't know if you ever get these strange thoughts in your head when you're driving late at night and you see the headlights coming at you from the other lane, you're in a two-lane road, and you're going, I, I could just go on the other lane. I could, I could do that. I could, I could end it all right now. It's like those strange thoughts pass through your mind. And, uh, and then, you know, they tend to increase when things get difficult in your life, if you're like me. So if you're flat broke or worse yet, if you're in debt and you can't pay, at about the same time, your girlfriend of many months decides to break up with you, then you're thinking, God, this is hard. This life is hard. It'd be easier just just not to exist anymore, wouldn't it really? And, and I think that... that that those kind of thoughts would plague me. I, I was talking to a friend about this, a fellow pastor, and, and he, he was going, seriously, really, you're going to talk about that to your congregation? He goes, I don't know hardly anybody who feels that way. And I said, almost everybody I know has felt that way one time or another. Like they just wanted to end it all. Like life was harder to live than it would have been just to cease existing, to die. Like, I'm not saying they wanted to commit suicide. I'm just saying, like, it's like a get-out-of-jail-free card, you know? God, take me now. Take me now. The pain is too much. The loneliness is too great. And uh, so maybe I'm the right guy to be at Skim of the Earth. Maybe we've got a church full of people who feel deeply and passionately and are a bit on the manic-depressive scale of things, I don't know, uh, where life is super exciting and then you take that dive, you're at the bottom, you're going, this is, I, just, I just want it to be over. I just want it to be over. You feel like you're running this marathon, this race, and... and you know, all of a sudden your side starts hurting and you just kind of want to lie down on the side of the path in the grass until the feelings go away. Like, forget about the crappy race. I could care less about winning. It just hurts too much. I just want some relief. I don't think I'm alone in this. Um, I think artist types forever have gone through this. I... Uh, Remember when I met my wife, she had this T-shirt. She was a G.K. Chesterton fan. And it had the profile of G.K. Chesterton, which is a prodigious profile, just by the way, if you didn't know. Cool guy. And it had one of his famous quotes from a poem he wrote. And below it, it said, I think I will not hang myself today. 
So I looked on the internet because I think I'm surely I can find this quote by G.K. Chesterton. If you follow me on Facebook, you know that I post Chesterton quotes and C.S. Lewis quotes and other quotes all the time. I did found it, uh, find it, and it's called A Ballad of Suicide by G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> I feel like I'm back in English class. The gallows. You guys know what a gallows is? It's one of those hanging noose kinds of contraptions they build. The gallows in my garden, people say, is new and neat and adequately tall. I tie the noose on in a knowing way, as one that ties his necktie for a ball. But just as the neighbors on the wall are drawing a long breath to shout, Hooray! The strangest whim has seized me. After all, I think I will not hang myself today. Tomorrow is the time I get my pay. My uncle's sword is hanging in the hall. I see a little cloud all pink and gray. You get the idea that Chesterton was ADD, right? Perhaps the rector's mother will not call. I fancy that I heard from Mr. Gall that mushrooms could be cooked another way. I've never read the works of Juvenal. I think I will not hang myself today. The world will have another washing day. The decadence decay, the pedants pall. And H.G. Wells has found that children play, and Bernard Shaw discovered that they squall. Rationalists are growing rational, and through thick woods one finds a stream astray so secret that the very sky seems small. I think I will not hang myself today. And when I was looking for that, I found a guy who wrote this little ditty called Postponed uh, with apologies to G.K. Chesterton, he says. I plan to fall off my window ledge, to leap to death and be no more. But it has just occurred to me that I live on the cold first floor. Postpone must be my suicide, and I must seek another way. Then, too, there is that show tonight. I shall not kill myself today. I hear the story that for months I followed the story that for months I followed in a magazine in the next number quickly ends. To miss it would be quite too mean. They say someday, in fact next week, our board will be festive and be gay. The sun feels good. I've changed my mind. I shall not kill myself today. So, you know, I guess I'm not alone in those kinds of thoughts going through my head. And I hope that unlike my friend, who probably would not be the right pastor for Scum of the Earth, that you guys are with me on this as well. The thing that changed all this for me, quite frankly, uh, was later on in my life. Um, I stopped getting, well, I, I dismissed those thoughts much more quickly after I had children. Now, I figured, you know, Mary, my beautiful wife, you know, was young and vibrant and most likely would have no trouble finding a new husband, probably one who would make much more money than I. But the children, the children I felt needed a father. And having been the child of a mother who died young, 
I knew the sense of loss. I knew the pain that happens when something like that occurs. And I thought, I, I, I want to live. I felt like George Bigley. I want to live, Clarence. I want to live. Give me my life back. Why? Because there were people who needed me. And it was obvious that I needed them in order to keep on going. So I'm wondering, you know, does this kind of thing ever show up in the Bible? And of course, it does in today's passage. The Apostle Paul, however, was a single man. You probably surmise that. Most theologians believe he probably was married at one time, that his wife died young before they had any children. Because you don't advance in Judaism as far as Paul had advanced without having been married. It was like one of those qualifications. You were kind of strange if you weren't married. So he believed that Paul had been married, but had chosen to remain single for the sake of the gospel. And so what happens when Paul, the great apostle, falls on hard times? What would give him the reason to go on living? We find it in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. And it should be on the wall behind me. He says, I'll continue to rejoice. Remember, he's in prison. But he's rejoicing because the gospel is going out. That's why he's rejoicing. That even though he's in prison, as we found out last week, week before, the gospel is still going out. Even though some people are preaching out of selfish ambition and don't like Paul, it doesn't matter. He's okay with that. For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Now, this is an interesting verse for a number of reasons, more so in the original Greek than it is in English. Because what he's saying is really, I know that because you're praying for me and because I get a bigger supply of the Spirit of God as a result of your prayers. I know that because you're praying for me, that more of the Spirit will be added to me. And this will lead to my deliverance. The word deliverance there can also be tra translated salvation. Now, I, so you got to wonder, is he talking about his deliverance from prison? Or was he talking about his deliverance from this life? Deliverance from his situation in this life. See, that's why this verse is a tough one. Because you're thinking, wait a minute, are you saying, Paul, that somehow the prayers of your friends affects how you're going to do in terms of your whole life's story with God. I don't think his eternal destiny is in question. 
He knows that he is God's and that God's is his, that God is his. But there's something going on here with Paul as he's chained up in prison. He says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For I fully expect. This is one of those phrases where it is like a dead surety. Elsewhere, Josephus, the Jewish historian, uses the same word to describe um, an attack by a Roman army on a city he's defending in Israel. Like he is fully expecting the hail of arrows coming down. Like he doesn't like it, but it's coming. Sure, as he knows he's alive, this arrow barrage is coming. And so Paul has an assurance. He fully expects and hopes that he will never be ashamed, that he won't give up for Christ, that he won't make the wrong move, but that he'll continue to be bold as he has been in the past and that his life will bring honor to Christ whether he lives or dies. But at the same time he's saying that he's sure this is going to happen, he's asking for prayers from the Philippians. I mean, when I talk to people, young people, about their faith, they fully expect to be Christians for the rest of their lives. But they know that hard times are coming down the road. And the question is, when hard times come for you down the road, will you have people around you who will help you by praying for you? The prayers of God's people are important for the filling up of the Holy Spirit. Why do we have to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit? And it's because we leak. Because if you read the book of Acts and you look at the Apostle Peter, he was filled here, he was filled there, he was filled there, and all of a sudden he says these things, you're going, wait a minute, he gets filled here. Why does he keep getting filled? Because he leaked in between. He needed to be freshly filled up for this task. I mean, I really covet the prayers of people who pray for me before I stand up and give a message. Because messages are important. They're important for the hearers, as well as important for me to give so that I can be shown to be a workman, you know, fully approved before God. And so I request, I mean, I don't have any doubts that I'm going to get through it. But the question is, how well will I get through it? And I think largely it's going to depend upon my relationship with others and others' prayers for me. Prayers are important. We're asked in Scripture to pray for the salvation of others. Why would we be asked to pray for the salvation of others if it was a done deal? Somewhere in the metaphysical world, Arminism and Calvinism come together in a beautiful symbiosis. But I'm not going to talk about that now. And here's the famous line, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is not a bad choice, good choice scenario. This is a good choice, better choice scenario. And here's the weird thing. Death is the better choice. Once again, that thing comes up. How can death be the better choice? Really? Do any other theologians feel the same way? There's a new book just came out about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the life of the great German pastor who was jailed by the Nazis during World War II, actually ended up being a martyr. And this is from a sermon that he gave several years before his death. No one has yet believed in God and the kingdom of God. No one has yet heard about the realm of the resurrected and not been homesick from that hour, waiting and looking forward joyfully to being released from this bodily existence. Whether we are young or old makes no difference. Whether we are 20 or 30 or 50 years in the sight of God, and which of us knows how near he or she may be already to the goal? That life is only really beginning when it ends here on earth. That all there is here is only the prologue before the curtain goes up. That is for young and old alike to think about. Why are we so afraid when we think about death? Death is only dreadful for those who live in dread and fear of it. Death is not wild and terrible. If only we can be still and hold fast to God's word. Death is not bitter. If we have not become bitter ourselves, death is grace. The greatest gift of grace that God gives to people who believe in him. Death is mild. Death is sweet and gentle. It beckons to us with heavenly power. If only we realize that it is the gateway to our homeland, the tabernacle of joy, the everlasting kingdom of peace. Death is not to be feared. If you read Fox's books, uh, Book of Martyrs, you'll, you'll read stories of the great saints of the church who, who go singing to their deaths, who preach while they're in flames. Right now, I don't know if you've seen the videos on Facebook or YouTube, but Pastor Youssef in Iran who is uh, in jail for his faith, facing execution. He's not afraid to die. I mean, the outcry of the West and the Christian West is, this is wrong, and we should decry that kind of terrorism. But make no mistake, Pastor Yusuf knows that to live is Christ and to die is gain, that he's better off once he's beyond their reach. And the truth of the matter is that the blood of the martyrs is the seeds of the church. If they kill Pastor Yusuf, they are, they have no idea the revival that will take place after his death. It always works that way. It always works that way. To live is Christ. 
I was talking to one person and he thought, don't, don't you think Paul's kind of high on himself here, like he thinks he's all that? Because he goes on to say why he should live. Verse 22. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be better by far for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Not pride in Paul, but pride in Christ Jesus for what he's doing in Paul's life. So there is a degree of humility there, but I think there's a degree of reality. This is not bragging. This is just fact. It's better for the Philippians if Paul remains alive. The Philippian church is about as old as scum of the earth is now. Anybody here looking for me to die tomorrow? Do you think it might be better for scum if I was around for a little bit longer? I'm hoping you say yes. I think it was the same way with Paul. I mean, I don't, I mean, I, one of my sayings is nothing worth doing can be accomplished in your lifetime. Nothing worth doing can be accomplished in your lifetime. My goal is that scum of the earth far outlives Mike Sears. I don't try and make myself the center of things here, which is why I don't preach all the time, if you've wondered why. <laughs> I was talking to Molly Fitzpatrick. She said, Mike, I started coming to scum, and I was there for five months before I heard you preach. I was on sabbatical for one of those reasons. But then there's other people that I had brought up and trained to do a good job teaching the Word of God. And the reason is because I want scum to outlast me. But, you know, there comes a time when the church is ready to go on, and Paul's saying, you're, you're not quite ready yet. So it's better for you that I stick around. In the same way, I would say to my... 12-year-old through 2-year-old children way back when, it's better for you that I stick around. Better for you. God, don't take me until they're old enough to not need me. So, I've got two major points and two only. Reasons to go on living. Number one, is because I have Jesus and because Jesus has me. Now, I don't want to just talk about this in terms of life or physical death. Because, you know, you can check out of life very, very easily. You don't have to kill yourself to check out. You can numb yourself through all sorts of things. Hedonistic pleasures. Just satisfy your, your own desires. Don't care about anybody else. Just want to make sure that I'm happy. I live for my own happiness. That's it. You can make a lot of money 
There is no better way to anesthetize yourself to the plight of people all over the world and around you than making a lot of money and just insulating yourself with stuff and with vacations. You lose touch really, really easily. There's all sorts of ways to kill your soul, to kill your, yourself, who you really are. Addictions, obviously, are one of those. You get lost in a haze of weed smoke, or you get lost in bottles of vodka. The pain of life is so great, you're so depressed, you just drink. And maybe you're not physically dead, but there's not much to you when you're alive. You're not really present. Living for oneself reaches an end. It's just not enough to say whether in life or death I exalt myself as opposed to saying whether in life or death I exalt Christ. Some people listen to the station W-I-I-F-M. That's uh, what's in it for me. That's all they listen to. And after a while, that just is an empty, hollow existence, and you know it. Living for Jesus is the coolest thing I've ever done. I don't know how else to say this. Living for Jesus is the coolest thing I've ever done. When I'm, when I'm sick, physically ill, I've got a place to turn. I know people who are dealing with cancer, several people who are dealing with cancer. Some the prognosis is good and some the prognosis is not. And they still remain upbeat and joyful about their lives, wringing it out to the fullest extent to get every last drop because they have a relationship with Jesus. Otherwise, they would just be ending it or drinking it away. I know people who are broke, who are worse than broke, who feel like they'll never get out of my school loan debt. Ever. I'm looking at it. It's like $80,000. I'll be paying this off until I'm 60 years old. But they keep going. Why? Because they've got a relationship with Jesus and they know that Jesus gives them a reason to live. That he said, I've got good works prepared for you from the foundations of the earth to accomplish. And that keeps them going. Because God is not finished with them yet. Sometimes I write this on birthday cards to people. I say, obviously, God has renewed your contract for another year. What great things he must have planned for you. Go get them. Really, 
Because my feeling is, is when you're done, God calls you home. Better to be with Christ. Right? I know some people who are tired all the time. Chronic fatigue syndrome. <laughs> they don't even have to have chronic fatigue syndrome or lupus. And I know Christians who have both of those things and they keep going because Christ calls them to keep going. They've got a reason to get up every day. But you just have to be a young mom to know that you need Jesus even though you're dead tired. That kid cries in the middle of the night and you're thinking to yourself, don't shake the baby. Don't shake the baby. <laughs> and of course you love your baby. You don't want your baby hurt. But you know you answer to a higher power as well. To live is Christ. A reason to go on living is because you have Jesus and Jesus has you in the palm of his hand. People who are stressed out. I tell you what, when I'm angry and my Greek blood does boil. Just talk to my family. And when I, I mean, literally, I had to resort to, if I don't leave the house now, I'm going to say things that I'll regret and that my kids or my wife will remember for the rest of their lives. You know, it'll come out in counseling someplace at like a hundred bucks an hour. And I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to do that to my family. So I just go off and I'm by myself in the car driving wherever. And who am I talking to? Take a wild guess. God, Jesus. And you know what? And Jesus has heard more foul language in my prayer life at those moments than any living person on earth ever has heard or will hear. I just let loose with what I really think about that person right then. And Jesus is patient, probably folding his arms, tapping his foot, rolling his eyes, waiting for me to just simmer down and uh, until he can talk some t sense into me. And we talk. I think I've told the story before, but I, I literally used to drive all the way down to County Line Road to go to Krispy Kreme because they were open like real, real late at night. And <laughs> I would be talking to Jesus all the way there, kind of calming down, order a box of Krispy Kremes and drive all the way up to Capitol Hill. I would knock on the house at 320 Grant where the Five Iron Frenzy folks lived, and I would say, hey, donuts, at midnight, Right? They're going, oh, look, our pastor loves us. This is amazing. You're so cool. And I'm thinking, if you only knew. <laughs> it's like there's blood on these donuts. <laughs> the blood of my wife and children. You heard of blood diamonds? They were blood donuts. Well, there would have been blood if I hadn't left and started talking to Jesus. That's all I'm saying. And the drive all the way down to Highlands Ranch and the drive all the way back to downtown actually helped me to uh, have a conversation long enough where Jesus could get my attention. This is why I love Jesus. 
It really is. You know, a lot of you, I said this before, I'm going to say it again. A lot of you, um, you know, loneliness is the thing that drives you to Jesus. You wish you had somebody else to talk to late at night. That's one of the reasons to go on living is because Jesus meets us in the hour of our deepest need. If you think you're lonely and you're single, then you don't want to be lonely when you're married. Because those of you who are married in this room, when you're not getting along with your spouse, when your spouse doesn't understand you, when your spouse actually dislikes you, where are you going to go? Because there ain't no lonely like married lonely. This is why it's important to have Jesus and for Jesus to have you. Just like he had the apostle Paul in that prison cell to live as Christ. To live as Christ. The second point is that a reason's a reason for going on living is that I have people and people have me. I have people and people have me. Do you have people that you can report to? Do you have people who can know what's going on in your life, your sorry life? Who do you talk to when you're broke or less than broke? Who do you talk to when you're stressed out? Who do you talk to when you're hungry? Hungry for just food. Hungry for fulfillment. Hungry for a purpose. Who do you talk to when you're tired? Sometimes you need somebody with flesh and blood and bone, right? It's like that little kid who was sleeping at night in his room and the thunder was crashing, the lightning was flashing through his little bedroom window. And you know, little three-year-old kid and runs into his mom and dad's room. Can I sleep with you, please? There's not a good time for him to be with his mom and dad. And so his dad said, no, son, let's go back to your room. He tucks him in. Just Jesus is here with you. All of a sudden, the thunder crashes and the lightning flashes again. Kid gets up and runs into this parent's bedroom almost at the most inopportune time. Parents should have got a lock on the door. I'm telling you right now, parents, you get a lock on the door before your kids can turn that knob open, okay? I know it may seem harsh, but it's better than giving them memories they don't want for the rest of their lives. So the dad takes him back in his room, tucks him in his bed and says, Son, Jesus is here with you. 
but dad, I can't see Jesus. I need somebody with skin on. You see, sometimes we need that human touch. Maybe you've had a difficult time breaking into the friendship circle the scum of the earth. That would not be unusual because let me tell you what happens. You, you know, come into a church for the first time. You're seeing people. Hi, how are you doing? My name is, and I like to, the kind of music, and, and, and they're, they're kind of sitting back going, okay, just hold on. Can we trust you? We, you know, you've got to earn the right to be heard. You've got to win your place in the hearts of people. Sometimes it takes a little extra work on your part to find community. Don't give up quickly. Let's think about Paul's community with the Philippians for a moment here. Let's see. Of the first church in Philippi, half of the church was responsible for beating Paul with rods, putting him in stocks in the deepest part of the jail. The Philippian jailer, right? How hard must it have been for Paul to trust that guy? How must it have been for the jailer to finally feel like he was really forgiven by Paul? You see, these relationships don't happen quickly. So don't be weary in trying to find people and having people find you. It will happen, I guarantee you, if you stick around long enough and try to break in enough times. After a while, we let you in. We really do. I want to end by saying that uh, I am so grateful to God for Scum of the Earth Church. I really am. In a lot of ways, I feel like the Apostle Paul. I know that Jesus has me. I know that I have him. But I'm really, really thankful that I have you and that you have me. And one of the things we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we will tonight, is that we commemorate communion, not only us having Jesus and Jesus having us, but there's a common community union where we are all in this together, where we all share bread and the cup together. At Scum of the Earth, we do communion this way. We um, come up, there'll be two servers. You'll grab some of the bread from one person, and then you'll dip the bread into the cup that's being held by the second person. And you can eat it right then, right then, right now. You can wait till you get back to your seat. If you want to go outside and have a word with the Lord, you can do that too. This is your time to connect to be had by Jesus and for you to have Jesus. And we do it all together because we are a community. 
within communion, we find the reasons to go on living. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the suffering of the Apostle Paul. I can't imagine what our life would be like without the things he went through and how he wrote about them. I don't know if you were despaired of life, Lord, but I, it makes me think of what the angels said in It's a Wonderful Life, <laughs> what Clarence Oddbody told George. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many others. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul and his writings. And thank you for the people right here. My life would be full of holes without them. Thank you most of all for yourself, Jesus. Without you, there would be no life at all. Amen.